The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Got a few crusaders left with us. Most of them have gone home right now. Great game yesterday, guys. So we're going to cheer for you next week. National Championship. So... Um, I uh, texted Coach Pete and said, two years ago, you started the season by having fajitas with us and you won a national championship. Uh, last year, you had to take off because we were remodeling the building. We didn't feed them and they usually come here for uh, service and then we feed them in the back. So last year they lost. So I told them, uh, you're sure to victory this year. You started the year in chapel with us and then we fed you. So I'm sure that'll make all the difference in the world, right? So in this newsletter, just to highlight what's done there, we are grateful for what God has done through you. Uh, We highlight what's happening in local ministries, over 300 backpacks to kids who wouldn't have them otherwise, over a thousand kids in our neighborhoods hearing the gospel through impact, over a thousand pounds of food came through, uh, Thanksgiving for us to share with families, 52 families that otherwise would not have celebrated that. And then uh, globally seeing what God's done uh, in various places around the world, and we're grateful for that, which leads me to uh, some of our missionaries who are visiting us today. Craig and Brenda Landrum stand up for us right here. Longtime TBC missionaries. Good to have you guys with us. These guys are some of our heroes in the faith. They've planted three churches in Mexico, currently planting a church or two in Spain where they live for the last, how many years have y'all been there now, Craig? Okay, that long, however he said, I can't hear, I'm deaf. So uh, how long? Seven years, seven and a half years. So uh, that's great. We appreciate you guys. It's good to have you with us. Our missionaries through the Christmas season, a lot of them have come and gone. So we're grateful to have you with us. There are a lot of things happening at TBC. You got a bullet in your hand. Let me just highlight one. Some of you guys are saying, how can we serve uh, in, in, in the body in some kind of way? If you are a friendly person, now that eliminates some of you, I know, but... If you're a friendly person, we just need couples to help and greet families when they walk in to check in. That's all you got to do. So uh, a lot of you fall into that category. You're nice people, kind people, friendly people. And so uh, you can just uh, volunteer to do that one time a month. That's all. Well, this past week we had uh, MRI. I think we'll go back to that. And uh, didn't exactly turn out the way we wanted. We have a return of metastasis to the liver. We have a suspicious spot on the lung and a suspicious spot in my back. And so... Uh, we recognize God's the same God as he was the day before that. He's the same God that we serve every day. He's the same God that we love. And so we will continue to battle. Looks like we'll probably go back to England is what we're thinking to get further treatment. And uh, only God knows, only God knows. As you know, our family motto for the last five and a half years has been every day is a gift from God, so enjoy it. And we're gonna do that. And we want, you guys have been so supportive of us on this journey and we are so grateful. We could not be more loved by a church family, by our own family, by our faithful God. So he's still a good, good father. And uh, this has been the verses we've asked you to pray for us. Though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. If there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my savior. So I'm not a physician, but we've studied this a lot. And once you have liver mets and lung mets and back mets, we know that bone mets, that uh, God could be taking me to glory. I feel a tug to eternity this way. I feel a tug from family, friends, and those we love, including you guys. This way, Bev is yanking like mad, she says, to pull me this way. And uh, I'm not sure what God's gonna do. But I know this, my prayer and the prayer I've asked you to pray for us is that we will finish strong and finish well. That uh, if that's months from now or if it's years from now, that the Savior will be glorified through this. So 
uh, thank you for journeying with us. Thank you for hearing us out. Thank you for coming next to us. Thank you for lifting up our hands. Thank you for uh, loving and caring for us. And uh, we could not really feel more supported than we have. I feel great. Um, Bev said, don't tell them how much weight you lift in the gym. My staff says, don't do that because you brag about that. And that's why you got now. But, uh, but really, I have no pain. I, I feel strong. Uh, I walk five miles every Tuesday and Thursday with some friends. Uh, I did lift 225 pounds 30 times. <laughs> 30 times on Friday. And it's like, I, I think they put steroids in the chemo last time I went there. So... Uh, my appetite, as you can tell, is still good. I've gained about 10 pounds in the last uh, week, I think. Uh, but anyway, you know, it's God's grace that uh, you can go through this and feel the way we felt because a lot of people don't have that. So keep praying. Uh, we're going to keep living life and enjoying Jesus every day. That's what we're here for. And uh, so, here's, so here's my prayer. Every time we meet as a worship team, we meet before the 815 service and pray in there. And for years, I prayed the same phrase in different prayers. And my phrase has been, Lord, hide us behind the cross so that Christ is seen through us. And so when I share stuff like that, I appreciate it. But now our attention's on Jesus, not on Gary. So let's make a transition and talk about him. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word that you've given us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the king who went from a manger to being his majesty. And Lord Jesus, you know my heart is to present you in all of your humility as the one who came as an example for us to follow and to be like. So would you teach us, Spirit of God, guide us into truth in Christ's name, amen. Philippians chapter two, if you have your Bibles or your devices, would you turn them on or open them to Philippians chapter two with me? We're gonna journey through this section of God's word together as we look at the incarnation through the eyes of Paul in the book of Philippians, Philippians two. Sometimes when we give gifts or receive gifts, they might need an explanation. I mean, you ever receive a gift and think, man, I wish there was an explanation for that gift because I'm not sure exactly how it works. We have some timers right now on our Christmas tree and uh, we, we have no idea how to work. I have gone online to read about it. I've got instructions to read about it and uh, I'm ready to smite those things and give them, you know, golden hemorrhoids as they did in the Old Testament and throw them out the window and go buy some new ones because they're just awful or I'm not bright enough to figure it out. If you're an engineer, come and talk to me. I'll let you figure it out and uh, we'll get it together. But sometimes things need explanations, right? Uh, we're gonna look at a commercial where I guarantee you this daughter wishes she would have given her dad further explanation about a gift that she gave to him. Watch this. Sag mal, Papa, habe ich dich noch gar nicht gefragt. Wie kommst du eigentlich mit dem neuen iPad zurecht, was wir dir zum Geburtstag geschenkt haben? Gut. Mit den ganzen Apps kommst du klar? Was denn für Apps? Geh mal bitte einen Schritt zur Seite. So. Uh, that's great, isn't it? Sometimes if you give a gift, you may need to give a greater explanation, right? Some of those, some of those, what did you say? What was that? Who said that over there? <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, the greatest gift ever given came with a lot of explanations. The greatest gift ever given is our Savior. It really came with, he came with a lot of explanations. 
We could look at it in many different ways, but uh, let's go to the Old Testament. For instance, there was an explanation about who he was and where he would be. We go several places. I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 9. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, the government will rest on his shoulders, his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no increase, there will be no end to the increase of his government or peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. A great explanation about who the Messiah would be. This is who he's going to be. He's going to be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. He's going to rule from the throne of David. An explanation about the greatest gift ever given. And then when Joseph found out Mary was going to be with child, there's a great explanation given to him. Uh, when, when he considered these things, as Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And here's the explanation. The child has been conceived in herds of the Holy Spirit. First explanation, it's a spirit-conceived son. Secondly, uh, she will bear a son and you'll name his name Jesus. Here's the name you're going to name him. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, he will save his people from their sins. There's an explanation of who Jesus the Messiah would be. The greatest gift ever given came with explanations as who he was and what he would do. Philippians chapter 2 is a further explanation of the Savior. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes about the incarnation using a little different language than the writers of the Gospels. So Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look at your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. So Paul is saying, I want to remind you that you are to live a humble life. If you are a follower of Jesus, one of the things you're going to do is live a life of humility. You're going to regard other people as more important than yourself. You're going to live the life of humility that you've been called to do. Now, Paul didn't have to do a Google search to get an example of humility. He didn't pop online and say greatest examples are images of humility. He knew who that was. He knew the greatest example was the example he had met on the road to Damascus. The greatest example of humility was the servant king, Jesus Christ. The greatest example of humility was our Savior himself. And so Paul says, uh, don't look upon on your personal interests, but for others. Paul's saying, live this life. And then he goes on in verse 5 and he gives an exhortation. Have this attitude that was also in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, I want you to live this humble life. I want you to live this life of thinking for others. And by the way, this is the same attitude that existed in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to use the Savior as an example of true humility. We are to be living selfless lives, selfless lives. You've heard me say before, one of the, you want to check on yourself? You want to see how you're doing? When you walk into a room, when you walk into a room, are you thinking, I wonder what other people think about me? Or you walk into a room asking the Father who you might minister to and encourage. Do you hear the difference there? When you walk in this auditorium Sunday after Sunday, Lord, give me someone to, to encourage, give a word of encouragement to. Give me a, Lord, get, give me somebody to minister to, somebody to care for today. Somebody put my arm around, somebody to tell them how special they are to me or speak a word of encouragement if they need that word of encouragement. Versus, Lord, give me something today. Lord, teach me something today. I wonder what they noticed if I had on today. You see the difference? Imagine if we all did that. I mean, on a given Sunday at TBC, we get about 2,500 folks walking through our doors, men, women, kids, youth, singles, college, college students. If we all walked in saying, 
I wonder who I can encourage and minister to today. So he says, have this attitude. Look upon another. Be, be, be selfless, not selfish. I love the uh, message that was written by Eugene Peterson. He passed away last month, I think, or maybe two months ago. It's really a paraphrase of the scriptures. It's not a true translation. But this is how he paraphrases Philippians 2. Look up here. Talking about the humility of our king. Think of yourselves the way Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, Jesus set aside the privileges of deity. He took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. And then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. When Peterson translated or, or, or paraphrased and put in modern language the vernacular of today, uh, this passage, he talked about Jesus Christ giving up his status. Although he was equal in status with God, he didn't think of himself that way. He talks about laying aside his status. I'm going to talk about three marks of humility I see in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through about 14. The first mark of humility, he laid aside his status. He laid aside his status. He laid aside the fact that he was. It doesn't mean he gave up his deity in any way. It doesn't mean he became less than God in any way. It doesn't mean that he did not understand that he was God. We know he did those things. But the scriptures teach us very clearly here that he laid aside his status. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That does not mean that he didn't understand who he was. He certainly understood that. That's why he could say, he has seen me, seen the Father. That's why he could say, I and the Father are one. We preach a sermon on doppelganger, a lookalike, and we said Jesus is exactly who the Father is. So it's not that Christ, that Christ did not understand that, but he recognized that he would take on a different form. He would have a different morphe, if you will. That's the word used there. He would become a man. He would become a man. Eternity passed, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit coexisted, and now Jesus had a different role. But he was not a different person. He always has been God. He always is God. He always will be God. That's what John points out in his prologue, John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus Christ always was God. He is God. He will be always God. He understood that. He did morphe, the word, the word that's used there. He changed. He changed. He changed and he became a man. That's what he said, being found in appearance as a man. And so when we read that, we recognize that a transformation has taken place. Years ago, our son, who is now in his upper 30s, he wanted one of the first transformers that came out. It looked like this, okay? So modern-day transformers don't look anything like that. You took this little plastic truck, and it turned into that. Nowadays, kids would throw that away because this is what a transformer looks like today. That's Megatron right there. Look at the difference between that and that. Things have developed over the years, wouldn't you say? But here's the reality, that truck that turned into that robot or whatever that thing is over there, it, it's the same, it, it's same form, it's not changed. It's still plastic, right? So it looks different and that's how Jesus is. He became a man, but he's still the same. In essence, he's the same, he hasn't changed. He has been God, he is God, he always will be God. There are those that look at this passage and say, aha, you see, he really wasn't God or he became God. No, that's not what the passage is saying at all. Let me remind you that even the demons understand who he was. 
When Jesus Christ goes to cast out some demons, he goes to the other side of the country into the Gadarenes, uh, two men who were demon-possessed. They came out of tombs. They became violent, and they cried out, saying, what business do you, we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They knew who Jesus was. And James Ford says, the demons, you believe in God, you believe God is one, the demons believe and tremble. They understand that. In the Luke passage, it says this, it says, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the demons understand who Jesus was. One of the greatest marks of humility that you can ever see anywhere is that Jesus Christ laid aside his status. <clears throat> I begin to think about us and status this week. I mean, status is almost an idol in our culture. I mean, to live in the right house, to drive the right car, to go to the right school, to wear the right clothes, to carry the right credit card. I read an advertisement this week, it was about uh, the American Express black card. I was going to put it up there, but it kind of faded when you did it. So that their, their punchline at the end, their commercial from last year, not this year, last year was, if you really want to live life, get an American Express black card. If you really want to live life, get a black card. <clears throat> now, I don't know what all that means. They, they listed all the perks. I got interested in reading about it. But I went to some of your house, took a picture of your yacht in your backyard. Somebody's Lamborghini, somebody's Ferrari. Um, I'm embarrassed to say my son didn't get into LSU. He went to Stanford instead. Um, I took a picture of some of our brothers who would dress to the nines. I mean, status, right? Status. What does Paul say about that? He said, have the same attitude that Jesus had. Lay aside all that stuff. You don't flaunt your status, you thank God who gave it to you. You get on your knees before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Say, Lord, thank you for the education you gave me. Thank you for the, the, the job you gave me. Thank you for the family you gave me. Thank you for, so rather than flaunting that stuff, we humbly come before the Savior thanking him for what he's given us. I love how John Wesley prayed this to lay aside his pride, Lord, let me be nothing and let Christ be all in all. That's a great prayer. Let me be nothing and Christ be all in all. One author, and I couldn't find out who the author is, but I love his quote, knowing Christ makes us humble, knowing ourselves keeps us humble. Can I get amen from that? Man, when I, I look at my heart sometimes and I'm thinking, man, how can you walk with God for over four decades, almost five decades now, and somehow I have those thoughts. The heart is deceitful, the scriptures tell us. Knowing Christ makes us humble. Knowing ourselves keeps us humble. And Paul begins this section by saying, have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. Although he was equal to God, he laid that stuff aside. Anything you need to lay aside right now? Stuff you've been bragging about? Stuff you've been... I love what Mark Twain said. I've used it probably 10 times. Next time you are prideful, try ordering somebody else's dog around or your own cat. 
And don't come to him and say, me and Gary, I call my cat and they do what I want them to do all the time. But he's right, isn't he? I mean, here's the reality. If we're going to look like our Savior, we're going to follow his example. There was humility in a status. Secondly, the second mark of humility in Christ in this passage is he had the heart of a servant. He had the heart of a servant. If you look at the next verse, verse 7, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. First of all, he emptied himself. Theologians have written dissertations on this. What did he empty himself of? What did he give up, so to speak? He veiled himself is another way to read that passage, called the kenosis passage, because the word empty there is the Greek word kenosis, the kenosis passage. What did he empty himself of? Well, I see three things that Christ emptied himself of. He emptied himself of. First of all, he emptied himself of his divine glory. He set it aside. He didn't forfeit his divine glory. He didn't get rid of his divine glory, but he veiled his divine glory. I mean, he, he, in John 17, 1, he says, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had past tense with you before the world was. And so he veiled his glory, John 17, 5. There's a moment, though, there's a moment when the curtains are pulled back a little bit and we see his glory. Jesus goes up a mountain and he takes three disciples with him. And all of a sudden you have the great lawgiver and the great prophet there, Moses and Elijah. And he pulls back the curtain a little bit and we see the glory. We see the glory. The disciples are down on their face because the glory of God was there. And the curtain comes closed again. If Jesus had walked out in all of his glory, we see a little bit of that in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember what happens there? That episode, Jesus comes out, he tells Peter to put down the sword, and all of a sudden, all the soldiers are on the ground. The curtain parts just for a little bit, and his glory is exposed, and there he comes. And so as we look at this, we recognize that we could not stand in the presence of an unveiled savior. And so one of the things he emptied himself of is that he veiled his glory. Secondly, he set aside his independent divine authority. What do I mean by that? Well, over and over, he goes to the garden, he says, Father, not my, what? Father, not my will, but yours be done. So he, independent, he, he set aside his independent divine authority over and over. He says, I've come from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And so he submitted himself to the Father. For all of eternity, they are co-equal. They are the Trinity. When he became a man, he submitted himself to the Father. And so he emptied himself, first of all, of his divine glory, that is, he veiled his glory. He set aside his independent divine authority. And thirdly, he set aside the riches of heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, for our sake became poor. What do you think for a moment? Jesus is in glory. Time for him to leave. The father and son have a final embrace. And then the next moment, Jesus who has been worshiped from eternity past by the angels who's enjoyed the splendor and face-to-face -face fellowship with the Father, becomes a fetus in the womb of a Jewish teenager. He gave up the riches and the splendor of heaven to become one of us. So he laid aside a status 
That's the first mark of humility. And secondly, he became a bondservant. It says in the scripture, he became a bondservant. A bondservant is one who voluntarily serves under his master after he has been freed. So it's a slave who has won his freedom. He served his freedom and now he says, I'm still gonna follow my master. And that's what our savior did. A bondservant owns nothing. A bondservant is one who carries the burdens of others. I, I, it's thinking about others all the time. So that's what it is. He became poor for us. He emptied himself. He, he became a servant. He became selfless. He, what Paul says, have this attitude that was in Christ Jesus. He laid aside a status. He became a servant, a bond servant to us. Charles Schultz, when he was alive, uh, gave me some great material when he wrote the peanut cartoon strip. Uh, he's gone now, so all we have are repeats, but there's one where he talks about selfishness and selflessness. It's, uh, it's brief. Linus says, I think there's something you should know. What's that? Says Lucy, the world does not revolve around you. She's thinking, thinking. She says, you're kidding, right? Here's the reality for most of us. The world revolves around us. We think about what we're gonna do, what we're gonna get, where we're gonna go, and it revolves around us. Versus revolving around the Savior, and as he did, other people. I mean, we talked about walking into a room, it's Christmas time, right? So Christmas is a time for giving. Except you're a kid, it's okay if you're a kid to say it's a time of receiving, right? I love the story of one kid who uh, said, I, I, he talked to his friend, he said, I'm disappointed. I wanted a puppy this Christmas and I'm not gonna get it. And he said, I'll tell you what to do. I wanted a puppy last Christmas. My folks said no. I told them I'll take a baby brother instead. I get a puppy with no problem. <laughs> but it's, it's the joy of giving. It's the joy of thinking of others. It's the joy of giving or spending our lives, investing our lives in other people. It's the joy of living our lives, not focused upon what we're gonna get and what we have and what's gonna come our way, but the joy of investing our lives in other people. Are you doing that? Who are you investing in? So here's a prayer, Lord, would you give me the privilege of investing in another man, another woman, another couple? And one of the reasons our core values are personal surrender, community, and missional living is because we believe those are things that are core to who we are in our existence. And, and it's investing, first of all, a personal relationship with Jesus, then investing in other people through community, right? And then investing in the world around us as we're in mission. That's what we're to be about. If our mindset is always about us, we live in a shallow world. Howard Hendricks said one day in class, there was a lady named Edith. Edith was boarded in the north, south, east, and west by herself. All she thought about was herself. What about us? Well, Chuck uh, Colson writes these words, here then is a scandal. God chose to invade planet Earth in the person of his son. What Christians call the incarnation, God made flesh. He did so to rescue humans, fallen humans. He became human so we could become holy. God appeared not with trumpets sounding, not with the hoofbeats of horses, not with great armies at his command, but in the person of Jesus, who had nothing. When he was born, he was born in a barred manger. When he rode into Jerusalem, he rode on a borrowed donkey. When he was buried, he was buried in a borrowed tomb because he was a bondservant who owned nothing. 
The final way we see the humility of our Savior, he laid aside his status, he had the heart of a servant. He gave his life in sacrificial obedience. And I get that from the next verse. In the next verse, it says in verse eight, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hobby Lobby comes out with these uh, cartoons, if you will. Um, what would you call that? Ads. They come out with ads every Easter and Christmas. I love them. And this was their Christmas ad a few years ago. And uh, you can see Joseph in the carpenter shop. And I want you to notice two things about Jesus. He's following the example of his dad. First of all, he holds in his hands a spike. Same type of spike that would be driven through his hands. In the shadow, what do you see there? Cross. That's a poignant reminder to me that you can't look at Bethlehem this time of year without fast forwarding to Jerusalem. You can't look at the manger without looking at the cross. And Paul says, I want you to know he became obedient. And when Peterson said to the worst kind of death, death by crucifixion, he, Christ's birth, brought God to man, but it took Christ's death to bring man to God. I love that statement. His birth brought God to man. His death opens up eternity for us to be with him. My prayer is that you have trusted him so that one day you'll be in his presence forevermore. Well, the good news is it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with the death of Jesus. It goes to the verses that I read earlier reflecting in all the songs that we sang this morning. What a beautiful name, what a powerful name. Who is the king of glory? He is, the, and we answered those questions in that song. And if you look at the next verse, it's what I read, that the, and God has highly exalted him, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those who are in the heavens, that's the angels and those who've gone before us, those on earth, that's those who are alive when he returns, and those under the earth, those that don't know who he is and are spending eternity separated from him, they will one day see that he is the Lord of the universe. And really, the difference is if you do it here, it's been eternity in his presence. Or if you realize it too late and you call him Lord and see him Lord, but are ushered off into eternal damnation. <clears throat> the question is, have you trusted him and know him so you'll spend eternity with him? The babe in the manger is the humble king of the universe. Paul says, follow his example. Trust in him as to who he is. So if we were to look in that manger, we would see those tiny little hands. Hands that sculpted a world, but could be wrapped around the finger of his father, Joseph. Hands that would not hold a scepter, but have a spike driven through them. And we could see those little feet of a baby feet that would eventually walk up the winding road of Jerusalem to Golgotha. And if we could somehow see that heart of that baby, it was a heart that was beating for every one of us. A heart that would be given in death so we could have life. 
but a heart that would beat again in the resurrection so we could be with him for all of eternity. Who is this king of glory? He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Lord Jesus, we worship you this day. We look in the manger and see you as this baby, but recognize you came laying aside all these privileges so that we could have life. Have this attitude, Paul says, that existed in Christ Jesus. An attitude of humility, an attitude of laying aside status, becoming a servant to others, and living sacrificially. And Jesus, we look forward to the day you'll be exalted over all, and we will enjoy you forevermore. Thank you for coming to this planet, for being our Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Bless you.